Hello and welcome to Deluded, the Melbourne Demons podcast. Meets my Melbourne sporting journey has been filled with disappointment after disappointment after disappointment. So this week has been pretty weird. I'm unbelievably, like I'm so ecstatic I don't even have words to describe how much yeah. I love this team. I think yeah. I'm a combination of ecstatic and confused. No, I'm not confused. Being a Melbourne supporter is perennial disappointment. I'm a deliver. I'm a deliver as a or a deliver. A deliver. De- 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 yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I see what you mean. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, no, I'm completely like lids off. Lids nowhere to be seen. Oh, the lids long gone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I shot through the ceiling. Yeah. <laughs> I just I love this team. I'm yeah. I'm so obsessed with every part of this team. It's awesome. I'd say How this, good is footy? This is the first time. I believed in my lifetime that Melbourne could win the Premiership. 100%. Even when we made the grand final, I didn't think Melbourne could win the Premiership. <laughs> and look, this feels really different to 2018. I think in 2018, um, I think most Melbourne supporters in 2018, maybe I've said this before, could really see the weaknesses mm. in our team insofar as we kept winning and that's yeah. what kept the hope alive and that's what kept the flame burning and gave us all this momentum. But ultimately, our number of inside 50s was just astronomical in comparison to our actual conversion. So I think we knew mm. that there was always a flaw and we always knew that um, certain teams would get a run on against us. Now we just look like such a complete team that wants for nothing, that has fixed every hole um, on the ground. And I'm just, and it's the, the cohesion and the sort of um, way in which the team is playing is just a joy to watch. So it's, it's, it's amazing. It just looks like a system, doesn't it? Which is why, obviously, if we lose Gorn or Petrarca, they'll really hurt, or Oliver. But I feel like most of our players we could lose, and I still think we could cover them, right? We've got great depth in the reserves. The team defends really well across the ground. You know, time will tell, but but you can see a real kind of resilience that we haven't had before. Completely. It's just real organization. And one thing I, I have enjoyed um, from our good friend Tom Morris mm. on the first crack is him and Kingy and, and Lee Montagna, there's often a lot of discussion about sort of behind-the-ground vision or, you know, behind-the-goals vision rather – and, and seeing how we gel as a team and just seeing the level of communication between all of our players where everyone just knows where they need to be. Need. And so I was really impressed by Michael Hibbard's, you know, endeavor and want to get back and cover Dusty at all costs, like mm. no questions asked, you know. Lever obviously, you know, is just playing unbelievable football, but he really knows when to intercept and when to, um, you know, stay back. And he's just, he's just exceptional. And so... I, I'm just so impressed by the organization, by the structure, by everything that's going in terms of in terms of this team. It's amazing. Definitely. And we need to gloat a little bit because Richmond has embarrassed us on so many occasions. Yeah. These smug Tiger supporters. How good was it when Cozzy Pickett just kind of gave it back to bloody Mansell or whoever that random well, was? Well, you say this now, Kieran, and yet we had an argument before where you said that you thought that maybe he should have... Uh, shouldn't have been so quick to shoot off his mouth. But me personally, I'm like, these Tigers players have been absolute, like, yeah. you know. No, I, I, at the time, I, I've forgotten how much I hated Richmond. Yeah, I okay, yeah. good. Well, I'm, I'm so glad you remember that. Um, shout out to Josh Drake, one of our loyal listeners and, and biggest Tiger supporters who's constantly been on this podcast. Um, he conveniently decided that he was too sick to attend this podcast. This classic week. Richmond. Classic Richmond. You turn up for the podcast when you win. And when you finally get humiliated, you're not here. It would have been great to really dissect all of Richmond's holes. I would have loved to dissect every single, you know, know, facet of that shellacking. Damon Hardwick's off-field morals. I mean, (laughs) the works. Well, no, but in terms of Cozzy, though, look, I know that Jack Rewald had a word to him 
um, about his behavior. And, you know, Goodwin obviously had a word to him and it seems like everyone's had a bit of a word to him. Personally, I love it. Mm. I must say, I'm sorry. Richmond have been anything but humble since they've, um, you know, had this ascendancy. Um, I don't see Tom Lynch, you know, being spoken spoken to by you know other t- other opposition teams about his behavior being poor so i don't know for me i just sort of sit there thinking come on it's all a bit of fun um as long as you're not crossing a line but in terms of the actual game itself as opposed to the theatrics the team's resilience is a thing that really impresses me you know that first quarter was hard i thought we would get absolutely blown off the park but the way that the team steadied the ship um led by christian salem who i think was probably a clear bog um yeah. Even though he didn't win the award. Even though he didn't win the award. He's just perennially underrated, isn't he, Salem? But oh, didn't you tell me he's third or fourth in the coaches' votes? Yeah, so he's actually, behind Max Gorn, he's the next Melbourne player in the coaches' votes. And he's actually quite far up, actually. Could he be a very sneaky Brownlow chance? I was actually wondering that. I don't think so, just because I don't think he's too... Yeah. yeah, and he's not flashy enough, I yeah. think, in terms of the thing he do- things that he does, because he's not enough of a goal-scoring threat. Right. And, um, you know, the umpires obviously love that. So I don't think so, but he's just having an unbelievable season. He really was the person who studied the ship, I think, when the team looked like it was unraveling a little bit in that first quarter. Um, But what a comeback. What an unbelievable comeback. Well, absolutely. Because honestly, I was watching that first quarter and I was like, okay, Richmond's come to play. They put us in our place. We're a solid team. We're not at Richmond's level. You know, I had the script written out in my head. It was done. But I was impressed with the pressure, you know. Like, I think I was quite impressed with the endeavor in yeah. the first but time. they were all over us in the first quarter 100 percent, yeah and then we just kept going and going and neil bullen kicked that clutch goal amazing he's become a real contributor um and then and we just kept surging the ball forward i yeah. really agree with real richmond football it really it? was like jacko's two goals were were a pure example of just hmm. richmond football you know just get the ball forward at whatever cost do not kick backwards yeah. and let them crucify us on turnover and I was just, I was just so impressed. Yeah, I feel like we did that a bit actually in 2018 as well. We were going really well, really outnumbering and just hustling the ball forward. But I think the difference this year is we're doing it against the absolute best teams. Yeah, right. That time we didn't, I think, beat a top eight team until round 20 or something. Mm. Now it's hard to really see us losing any games. Don't you think? Yeah, I think so. I think we'll be undefeated. Um, but we have to talk about Jonesy's 300. Mm. What a beautiful, like, glorious moment for him and his family. Yeah, well, we were both um, nearly in tears at the end hearing hearing Jonesy's comments. Um, it's been a long run, and he's had to deal with a lot of shit. Yeah, he has, and he's just been unbelievably resilient and unbelievably positive throughout all those dark mm. times. And it's just such a fitting um, way of bringing in your 300th, you know, like Anzac Day Eve, mm. wonderful, wonderful game, um, Melbourne beating Richmond, you know, at their yeah. own game. It's just – it was perfect. And I feel like, look, whatever, whatever happens with the season – he'll at least get a shot of being in a good team that can threaten, which is really all you can ask, right? Because some players don't even get that. I agree with that. Yeah, completely. And look, I mean, the one thing is we we were a bit fortunate insofar as Dustin Martin got concussed and Ken Lambert went out of the game as well. Sure. Um, Plus Dion Prestia also wasn't in the team. That's true. That's true. I I just think, look, I think facing Richmond again without Mm. those injuries – where they've never lost to a team twice in the same season yeah. during the duration of this dynasty, that could be an interesting prospect. Yeah. Also, Richmond don't really turn up until like later in the year. Right, they're anyway. in training mode. But I don't know. The reason I was just so impressed with it is 
looking at that first quarter, you could tell that Richmond had come to play, right? I think they wanted to make a bit of a statement to this young upstart team, we're better than you, you know, get screwed. And we just overran them. So I actually think Richmond was on. We were just too good. I agree with that. I, I was I was just so impressed. And it was a really team performance. Mm. Um, you know, there weren't many bad players. Everybody really did contribute. I don't think, I think. that was a bad player. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, there were some players who were a little bit quieter than others, but really it was such a complete team performance. Yeah. And I was, I was just so impressed by that. Um, so, Kiz, one of the really interesting discussions and questions we have to our listeners this week is what tattoo are we going to get when Melbourne mm. win the premiership? Because, look, Kieran and I have been holding out on getting a tattoo. We've always wanted to get a tattoo together, like to get mm. our first tattoo together. And, um, you know, Kieran kind of wanted a butterfly, like matching butterflies on his, on his and her lower backs. But then we thought against that. So we wanted to get like a Melbourne Premiership tattoo. So we want to open this up to the audience. What tattoo should we get? Should we get a little devil? Should we get Max Gorn's face? Should we get Trax's face? Nah. Should we get Jones's face? What do you think? I mean, I was always hoping for a Cam Pedersen t- tattoo, but that might be a bit too obscure. But you might uh, get a Mitch Brown tattoo. Or a Mitch Brown tattoo, one of my other fringe players, or a Ryan Bale tattoo, of course. But I, I think feel like they have to play in the Premiership team, Kieran. Okay. In that case, I think Cozzy Pickett doing some outrageous snap around his body would be mine. I don't think they need to match. They just need to both be Melbourne tattoos. No, I think they need to match. Okay. It's his and hers. Yeah. You, yeah. Can, you can have like a Luke Jackson tattoo. Oh, I would get a Jacko tattoo. Yeah. Jacko was awesome, wasn't he? Oh, he's so good. That's probably, so probably good. his best game. Isn't 18 it? disposals, 100% efficiency. 100%. Yeah. He's amazing. He's just phenomenal. Those three guys, him and Rivers as well. Just outstanding. But we'll put that to you, dear listeners. Please send us your thoughts on that. Um, and where we should get them. Oh, okay. Nothing too cheeky, though. Come on. This is a <laughs> PG-rated podcast, please. <laughs> um, and please do join the uh, Facebook group, Deluded, the Melbourne Demons fan community. Um, the last question, though, we're kind of pondering right now is how the hell do we get back to Australia? Oh, this is the really difficult question. Because we're in Mexico right now, as you all know. Yeah. Um, we'd have to deal with a hotel quarantine. Mm-hmm. Do we book our flights for early August mm-hmm. and then hope we have to deal with 14 days? I'd be interested in what other overseas listeners have to say about this. Yeah, well, I think the thing is that hopefully they'll do the the buy round before the final start. Mm. That's what we need right. in order to not... Just to get our bodies right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> just to prepare ourselves for what will ensue. Um, yeah, I'm interested in knowing. I mean, hopefully they'll... Well, we'll probably be getting the vaccine very soon, right? Mm. So we're going to get the vaccine, but I don't think that makes any difference in Australia, unfortunately. No, it doesn't. But yeah, we don't need to go into Australian border politics. The, the point of it all is we need to work out how and when to get back. So that's because the idea of missing Melbourne's first premiership in 60 years just terrifies me. Oh, and just to see how satisfying it would be, particularly for against Richmond. Oof. Anyway, we don't yeah. need to we don't need to we don't need to get into all that yet. Anyway, we've completely drunk the Kool-Aid this week, but I think you can all agree that's justified. Um, we also have an incredibly exciting interview this week uh, with Cal Toomey from afl.com.au who I think everyone would agree is a leading expert on the draft. Um, he he does this incredible phantom draft every year which pretty much exactly maps out what actually happens um, and we have a really interesting conversation with them about the D's list build um, about some of our younger players about some of the players that you might not know much about um, like this year's draftees um, yeah it's pretty interesting isn't it yeah Cal's lovely he's he's a really great guy and he's just he's so knowledgeable mm. about every player in the draft and it's quite amazing how much he knows about these players from when they're, you know, 15, 16 years old yeah. all the way through 
you know, he's really tracking their full journey. And it sounds a little bit creepy, but he's, he's just so in the know. It's amazing. He has an opinion on Fraser Rossman. Mm. I don't even know Fraser Rossman's mum has an opinion on Fraser Rossman. Yeah. Cal, Cal knows everything. Cal knows. Cal knows. Cal is, is, is unbelievably good. So um, this episode will be really exciting because, you know, for us, I think, as D supporters, we're obviously unbelievably excited about what's happening in the present and now. Um, but as we know, you know, an injury here or there, and, you know, there's always a new crop of people coming through, and we really just want to know um, what Cal's thoughts were on, on how those players might go, where they might play on the field. Um, yeah, and so this is, a, this is a great episode and a great interview with a really lovely, knowledgeable guy. So I'm sure you guys will love it. So without any further ado, here's Cal Toomey. Go Dees. Go Dees. Cal Toomey, welcome to the Deluded Podcast. It's a pleasure to be on, Deluded. Probably not <laughs> Deluded in a minute, though. Six zip. Far We're pretty from. happy. We're pretty happy. I'm not going to lie. Like, I literally posted the most obnoxious Instagram post after our recent win where I literally just wrote, you know, so when, like, how many flags do you think we will win as part of this dynasty, right? Like, three, four, every other year, or will they be consecutive, you know? So, like... The lid is definitely off. <laughs> <laughs> well, blow it off. I was there on Saturday night and, yeah, I think everyone's a bit like, why not enjoy this? It's been so long. What is it, um, more than 60 years nearly or about 60 years since, you know, six nil starts the season. So, yeah, I think you're in a, a space where you enjoy it and hopefully the stretch continues in the next few weeks. Absolutely. Um, but, Cal, you're kind of seen, I guess, as the uncontested draft god of the AFL. <laughs> I don't think anyone could claim to know more about drafts and lifts builds and things and that like that. And we've loved your phantom drafts over the year. So the well, question un- was, uncontest- uncontested sort of fits into how I used to play as well. So that's yeah. probably yeah. <laughs> you're just rallying around gathering gathering possessions on your own and no one would ever oppose you. Yeah, I like it. I like it, Cal. So I want to ask you about Melbourne's list build under Jason Taylor. Um, You've talked about how impressed you've been with how Melbourne has gone about it. What do you think Melbourne has done that other teams can learn from? Well, yeah, I think it started in essence when Jason Taylor got on board for the 2013 draft. So he was basically uh, brought over from Collingwood in 2012 and there were some machinations around when he actually started with the Demons and how much say he had in the 2012 group. And, of course, Jimmy Tumpus was 2012. That didn't work out, but that really wasn't where uh, Jason Taylor started. His first real pick was the Christian Salem pick and that's where I sort of go back to when I look at what Melbourne's done over the past seven or eight years. And for some people... And maybe rightly so, it's it's sort of taken maybe a rebuild and a half in some ways to get to this point where, you know, there's a there's a challenging side and it looks for real this time. And even in 2018, there was a lot to like about it, but it was so young and you still didn't know what you're going to get out of some players week to week, whereas I think this one looks a little bit more sustainable. So, yeah, I look at what the Ds did. Even at that point, they were... And people will criticise them, have criticised them for that move where they, you know, shifted back from two to nine and and instead of picking Josh Kelly, picked up Christian Salem. Right now, I'm not sure which one you'd probably rather, to be honest, um, when you, you look at how their careers are going. But that's a debate for another day. But what the, the Ds have sort of shown, I think, is the capacity to turn one thing into two and three or to actually play on and prey on clubs with academy selections. And we're getting very deep dive very early here, but what they did do the Ds is they were able to create a new standard where, and some clubs don't like that they do this and other clubs are 
have followed suit. But it did start a, a sort of trend where you could go and target clubs who had academy players coming through and try and inch up the order by using those picks. And, and they did that as well uh, when they moved up the order to get Clayton Oliver, which is one of the great draft picks of all time. It's, I don't think there's any doubt about that. Um, so across the years, they've sort of created some different moves. And even last year, you know, they're willing to buy into the current year's draft and then sort of think about next year down the track and down the line. And right at this moment, trading out their, their future first pick uh, at the end of last year, everyone doubted it. Everyone said, what are they doing? There's a draft pool that no one's really that sure about yet. You know, we haven't seen these kids play as much. Next year looks a really good year, but probably nobody expected the Ds to be, you know, in the top two at this point. And, and certainly Brisbane wouldn't have if they traded that pick. So I know there's a lot of detail in that one, but I think they've sort of engineered some new moves and, and brought some new moves to the list build sort of landscape. Cal, can I ask you first about Christian Salem and what type of player you thought he would be in his draft year? Because unlike someone like Clayton Oliver, who had really immediate impact at AFL level, Christian Salem took a little bit of time because of injuries and because of, you know, form issues and he was in and out of the side a little bit. And then now he's, I mean, he's just an unbelievable form and he's only behind Gorn in terms of the Melbourne players in the coaches' vote. So tell me what type of player you thought he would be and, and whether or not that's sort of come to fruition in terms of what he is now. Uh, it's a good question. I'll probably look back and I think that at the time he was he was the midfield, one of the midfield aces coming through the, the draft pool and it was that left foot kick that we see all the time now and we've become so accustomed to. But there was also the ability for him to shift forward a bit and kick a goal. I know he did that on the weekend, but uh, it's not really become a part of his game because in the end his, his best spot has definitely been that half-back position where he's able to sort of wheel and go a little bit and set up the play. And maybe it was through necessity as well that the Ds needed a kicker out of the back line. You know, that's why Jaden Hunt moved forward over the past couple of years because they thought, does he, does he turn the ball over too much? I think there was probably a period there where the Ds were looking at what he didn't do as well, maybe as much as what he did. So yeah, Salem, the Salem pick was really smart one, I think. At the time, they viewed him around the pick four or five range in that draft pool. So they thought if we move back a couple of spots... Uh, we can get that, and we also bring in a pick twenty or so. I think that was Jake Kennedy Harris. That one didn't turn out to be you know, an awesome selection, but at the time it was probably where he was uh, ranked. I think, and Jay definitely had a lot of talent as well and ability. Just couldn't really get it going consistently at AFL level. But the the interesting thing about the Salem pick, and, and I've said this many times, probably like a broken record you know, on AFL Exchange. I think I've mentioned this a few times. Melbourne was never picking Josh Kelly. It mm. wasn't going that way. Even if they held the pick, it was it was Jack Billings. So. Um, it's a completely different debate, uh, the what if around that. But yeah, I think Salem's really proven to be a sturdy player over the past couple of years in terms of his body, and we're seeing the best of him because of that. Mm. So, Cal, as you mentioned, Melbourne's made a lot of fairly ambitious moves in the draft, um, including the Salem swap, um, Oliver, and so on. Which of Melbourne's draft moves under Jason Taylor has most impressed you? Oh, Christian Petrarca? Yeah. <laughs> He was probably the really easy one, wasn't he, yeah. uh, at, at pick two in 2014. Um, the, probably the hardest call in 2014 was whether they picked him at two or Brayshaw at two. And, and I think even that decision probably wasn't one that was made until the last sort of week anyway. But uh, in terms of the, the – I mean, you have to look at Clayton Oliver. I know we've spoken a lot about him already, but it was a really brave call and – it's so easy in hindsight to look back, even as soon as the draft finished. I know other clubs are saying, oh, we ranked him at five, we ranked him at six. You know, he was in our top ten 
the Gold Coast definitely would have taken him, but pick six. So it was really crafty by the Demons to to move up the board and get in ahead of the Suns, who had shown some real significant interest in Oliver late in the piece. Uh, so that was really smart to get up ahead of them. Uh, and look, they had the, that option. They were pretty heavily linked to Darcy Parish throughout the year, mm. and we're just seeing the best of Darcy Parish sort of come to fruition as well. But they probably had the choice. It would have been probably an easier call to take Tarsi Parish, I think, at that point. Um, but they didn't. And that was on the back of probably three months of Clayton Oliver form for the Murray Bush Rangers in the second half of that season. So, yeah, really brave call. And as I say, like, you speak to clubs and it's very easy to rewrite history a little bit and say, oh, we would have viewed him here. And, yeah, what a great selection. But, you know, we all had him at this point, which it just isn't really factually right. So, um yeah, I think that one stands head and shoulders above the rest and, and probably will in some ways define the, the recruiting build under Jason Taylor, I think, the, the bravery to go and take that pick. And it came, I'm um, just looking, thinking back in my head, it came two years after Marcus Bonzapelli was picked four. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that one in itself was one of the, the great selections. And I think for, for Jason Taylor and the Melbourne crew to go again after that, um, you know, at what they saw at the Dogs, you know, really back in potential and, and promise and projection. It, it was, yeah, an amazing selection, really. So, Cal, in 2019, we were all suffering pretty horrendously. Um, that was probably one of the worst seasons I can remember as a Melbourne supporter. And there have been plenty of, uh, plenty of <laughs> other seasons that rival um, for most misery, you know, accrued to supporters. But... The one thing that came out of that year, which we are so grateful for now, is that draft. I mean, that 2019 draft where we picked up Luke Jackson at pick three, we picked up Cosy Pickett at pick 12, and then we picked up Trent Rivers. Um, all three of them are now staples in our team. Which of those young draftees has excited you the most? I think everyone's very excited by Cosy. Yeah. We may as well go through them bit by bit because even the, the Luke Jackson selection, and we talk about, you know, brave calls at the top of the order, he was the highest draftman, uh, highest ruckman picked in the draft, I think, since Nick Nat about 10 years earlier or so. So, you know, you look at that and over the past few years before that, it was like, how early do you take a ruckman? Do you, you know, Tim English slid to pick 19. He was the standout. He got through to the Premiers in 2016. Brody Grundy in 2012 got through to pick 18 and had absolutely walloped sides that season. And, and the Giants had five picks before then. How much would history look different for them if they'd actually taken Brody Grundy? So... There's, yeah, it's a courageous call because everyone looks around and, and particularly at that point you say, well, hang on, you've got Max Gorn, who's the best player in in the you know in your list, and you've got uh, you know the Australian ruckman already there, and then you've got Braden Proust at that point as well, who's you know the backup. Why would you go a ruckman? And they did because they saw so much more to him than that and there was the forward aspect, there was the midfield aspect and Luke Jackson still thinks he can play as a midfielder and we wait and see if he can do that but he just keeps popping up with great moments and I think what we've seen this year is some some real genuine development from him. So the other one that's interesting about Luke Jackson is and this was not um, in hindsight because I remember speaking to this stuff, uh, pretty much every club um, in the lead up to that draft around who they would have taken a pick three that year. Obviously, the first two were, were Raul and Anderson that had been locked away for so long. And Jackson got as many votes as anyone from clubs who either had top five picks, top six picks, top seven picks, or even some who were a little bit deeper in the first round who just looked at it and thought, yeah, he's he's the guy who fits the bill. So that one was a great call. And then Cozzy, the, the next selection, 
And again, we talk about, you know, selective trading and being really smart and, and knowing the, the landscape of who's going where. They probably knew that they could shift back a couple of spots because there was no threat for someone to go and take Cozzy. And, like, I'll put my hand up. I, I, I miss Cozzy in terms of being that good. I don't think that um, I sort of rated him around that range uh, really, so he's he's gone on to immediately almost show some some awesome things and looks like being one of the best small forwards in the competition already. Probably is doing some great stuff on that front. So that's a great call. The Rivers one was interesting because I'm sure you guys would have seen the uh, the behind the scenes draft night video from uh, the Melbourne guys from that draft. So and and their commentary as that pick sort of got on and on and on. And mm. there's probably. I hope it looked like that, you know, Devin Robinson could get to, through to that pick and, and be another midfield option, and he nearly did. Uh, he slid through a, a fair way, but they're always pretty hot on Trent Rivers. And, yeah, I mean, he was wrote it about a couple of weeks ago. The other two boys are getting a lot of the acclaim, and fair enough, but Rivers has been fantastic, hasn't he? And some of the, the drive and poise he has off half-back has really added something. So, yeah, look, that looks like being a fantastic crop. And, it's amazing how one good crop or two good crops of drafts can really, you know, whip you back into form and, and premiership sort of contention. And, yeah, all those three really make an impact now at the moment. Mm. Well, based on what you saw of Luke Jackson and Trent Rivers in juniors, where do you think they'll settle? Because like you mentioned, Jackson, it's hard to tell if he's a forward ruck or a ruck forward um, or just a midfielder. Rivers could be a halfback or a midfielder. Where do you think they'll end up? I think Jackson ends up one of the best ruckmen in the game. Mm. And I think that's – and he probably does that that ruck roving bit just as part of his ruck stuff, if that makes sense. Rivers Rivers will be fascinating, whether he's always just going to be a really good halfback and there's nothing wrong with that at all. I think that's probably where he played most of his junior footy and it was the rebound. It was the ability to find 24, 25 touches a game but also do the, half, the stuff off halfback and defend really well. So I think that's a valuable role. and. The way that the Melbourne midfield is shaping up as well, I think that's probably where he'll settle at least for the next few years and, and see if he can go on from there. But that's where he played his best footy and that's where he has played his best footy. So they've actually found it pretty lucky that there was a spot there for him to, to make his own pretty quickly and there has been. And he sort of complements what the other guys off half-back do bring and do create, I think. Hmm. Cal, quick question on Cozzy because it was true that people were really surprised. Obviously, you were surprised um, that Melbourne was so desperate to pick him um, so early in the draft. What were some of the knocks on him in junior years? We just hadn't performed that consistently in, in his 18th year. There was the, the flashes of brilliance and there was the big specky and I think he kicked six goals in a game really early in the season. And then there was in the previous year's grand final, there, there was that that bump um, that yeah. everyone has seen a million times over. So there was all the, the little bits and pieces, but... Uh, there probably wasn't the consistency that maybe some of the other top guys had had. And you look at that draft and some of the guys who went ahead of him are pretty decent players too. Like, you know, uh, Caleb Sarong's one a rising star and he was in the mix, I think, as well for the Melbourne's first pick. Um, obviously, we've seen Hayden Young do a little bit of stuff as well. Liam Henry looks like a good player too. So there's some decent players in that pool and there was a real sort of collective view around that top 11 or 12. I guess the other thing worth noting as well is that um, I guess after the fact and it sort of Melbourne had to get in when they did because I think the Bulldogs were pretty keen on Cozzy as well either a pick or two later when they picked up Cody Waitman and that was the decision I think that um, Melbourne was weighing up do they go with Cozzy do they go with Waitman I think Waitman's going to be a really good player as well it's a, a slightly different forward line to break into and it 
he's, he's probably a very slight, very slightly different small forward as well. Whereas Cody's more the the lead up, maybe the maybe you guys remember Paul Medhurst type of small forward where you you probably play a little bit taller than you are and, and a good above your head. Whereas Cosy was the uh, and he's the the guy at ground level who's such a great crummer and reads it front and square. So there was probably just those things to weigh up. But yeah, it was mainly the consistency. But that I guess again shows that if you recruit well and you recruit on you know the flashes and and the slices of talent that you see that there's so much to take out of a player. Mm. Cal, that 29 trio has obviously gotten a lot of press, rightly. But one thing I think a lot of Melbourne supporters, including us, don't know a huge amount, is about some of the guys like Jordan and Sparrow, um, who were round about pick 30 in the draft, played a few games. But I don't think we know a massive amount about how good they are and where they'll end up. Do you have any insights on them from watching them before the draft? It's funny, watching James Jordan was was interesting because uh, he actually got plucked out of my old school and I'd watched that that side play a fair few times and he probably wasn't really on the radar that much. And I, I remember a couple of other clubs after the draft actually saying, where did you, did, had you heard much about James Jordan going where he did? I think he's around the 30s mark, wasn't he? Uh, 30s, sort of late, late second round, early third round. So, and I hadn't and I don't think many other people had as well. So that was a bit of a spec pick, but they must have got some intel that some other clubs were interested in him as well. And Look, he had sort of maybe a, not a shaky start to his career, but goes down off the senior list, and and at this point looks to be a real find of twenty twenty one. So watching that closely because there was so many others in that competition that had really taken the eye. So that was a, a really good selection. Sparrow was a little bit more proven, I think, as one of these tougher, um, hard nosed players out of South Australia who just always competes well and plays well in the championships and. I put his name on the radar at that point. So he had a lot more sort of outward interest than, than James Jordan. But at this point, you'd have to say that, yeah, Jordan's making a, making a real fist of getting in a spot. And it's that versatility that he has. Again, these sort of players who can play on a flank or a, a midfield role or push up onto a wing. But I think Melbourne's, you know, there's, there's an appetite for those at the Demons, I think. <laughs> to say the very least. Kiss. Um, <laughs> And what about the the new draft class? So we obviously haven't had a chance to have a look at Jack Bowie or Bowie, uh, Bailey Laurie and Fraser Rossman. Um, can you give us a bit of intel into what we should expect from those guys? It's Bowie. Bowie yeah. is the one. Yeah. Okay, intel yeah. Already. Yeah, good. Yeah. <laughs> one, one for next time. Um, I know it's been mispronounced a few times and he probably, he probably would have been uh, – the bane of every school teacher's existence coming through because you go through the role and go, Jake, uh, uh, whichever way it goes, is it, is it like David or is it like something else? Yeah, it's Bowie. So he's uh, he's looking really good. I watched him play in a practice game a few weeks ago and then I've seen a, a, a Casey Demons game since then as well. And Look, they're trying to mould him into a Caleb Daniel type of small defender. Um, so there's that that kicking that we're seeing and that was his pinpoint passing. I think that was his, his real trait um, that I think everyone sort of saw in the draft sort of landscape last year was, you know, I think someone once described him as like Lockie Whitfield-esque with his ball use. So, wow. Um, like that. If you can get to that point, that's a good yeah. result for the team. It's a big call. Uh, but it is a big call. Uh, look, he's, he's very creative and he barely misses a, a, a kick on each, on each foot. So... Um, I like him. He's again the the knock clearly, uh, and the question will be at his size. Mm-hmm. How how do you compete with you know players and, and forwards who are bigger, stronger, taller, more experienced than you? But 
he's not backward in coming forward, so he doesn't like anything in that respect. And I think that, yeah, he's someone who should be able to break into that side sooner rather than later. Mm-hmm. As for Bailey Laurie, I was a big fan of Bailey Laurie. I think um, he probably got picked a couple of spots behind where I thought he might go and mm-hmm. where a few others might thought he might go as well. But mm-hmm. he's, he's sort of um, – he reminded me a little bit of Jack Higgins in in, in his draft year and, and I know he didn't play in his draft year, in Jack Higgins' draft year. It was more that um, that smaller midfielder who could go 40, kick a goal. He had such a great – into his bottom age draft year where he, he really didn't look out of place alongside Raul and Anderson and a couple of these other guys playing for the Oakley Chargers in the NAB League finals and had a good grand final as well. At that point, was well and truly on the radar. So, yeah, he looks like being uh, a pretty handy player, I think. Just at the moment, there's probably not a reason to blood these guys if you don't have to because, you know, we, we see Ben Brown and Sam Wiedemann out of the side. If those cars can't get a game and can't break in, on the back of their reputation and records, then the young guys, you know, will have to bide their time as well. So, yeah, I think I think those two together, it was probably um, an interesting one whether they went two smaller types together or whether they sort of mixed it up a little bit more. I think they probably mixed it up with their third pick with Fraser Rossman. Um, that was more the one where you go, okay, we've got these two guys who are real footballers, they're footballers, footballers, they're, they're really good kicks, they do all that stuff. Or do we throw in someone like Fraser Rossman, who's maybe the more athletic type, bit taller, can play in a few different positions, you know, blitz the combine, great runner, but we probably haven't seen as much proven footy out of him. So he might have been the more projection out of the, the three early selections for the Demons last year, but, yeah, I, I like the mix. I want to ask you maybe a slightly more philosophical question. Yeah, that's putting it a bit too strongly. We're getting deep here. This is, um, yeah, Cal didn't expect this when he signed up to the deal with the well, podcast. Yeah. It's not that philosophical. I mean, <laughs> there's a classic question, right? Is it drafting or development? And obviously you have seen a million recruiting, you know, managers at work. You've seen a million young prospects. From all of that experience, do you have a lean on that? Yeah, good question. Good philosophical question. Um it depends if you if you're chatting to recruiters or development coaches. Yeah, <laughs> which way it goes, I think, yeah. um, and maybe and maybe who's listening. But look, I think it genuinely it, it genu- this is going to sound like a cop out, but it genuinely is. It takes both to work, and it really does because I've seen so many players who've entered good systems who were probably maybe let's say let's call them second tier players. They're second tier players, but they enter a first tier system and they become better players for it. Whereas I've seen also early picks who notoriously and you know the way the ladder and AFL works will go to clubs who are at the bottom of the ladder generally. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I've seen these early picks who look like they're going to be stars from day dot, but for whatever reason they go to clubs that don't harbour a lot of success in recent times. Um, and there's a reason for that. And sometimes they just don't go on with it quite as much. And uh, so it genuinely is like hand-in-hand type of stuff. And, look, I think the main part I still feel, I think the, the recruiter's jobs are the most important jobs in footy. So it probably have a lean towards the picking the right players and getting the, those selections right. However, yeah, you could argue that for success, the next group of people in terms of those development coaches and development programs and how well they're run at AFL clubs is, is just as important because you, you've got to get the most out of this talent and, and actually make it flourish and make it work. And there's like a handover process between recruiters and development coaches. So once, you know, um, a group of 
players gets brought into a club, the, the dossier of information that the recruiters have picked up over, you know, 12, 24 months or in the case of Clayton Oliver, three months um, on these players gets handed over to the development coach and say, okay, they're yours now. This is what we know about. This is how they work. This is their family background. This is their challenges. This is their their strengths. Um, you know, go to work, see how you go. So there is sort of a process to it, but I still think that, um, yeah, the recruiters' jobs and the amount of time they put in and the, the effort and work and, and resources they're sort of working with at the moment makes them, you know, the most pivotal in terms of a, a club's future really. Do you think it's a matter of certain clubs deciding that certain profiles fit their system and then going after players who fit that system? So the only reason I say that is because Lepich was talking about how um, Lockie O'Brien and how, you know, they had the option at one point to consider whether or not Lockie O'Brien would be drafted by Richmond, but then they just decided that um, he didn't fit with the, you know, the Richmond way or a, a playing. Do you think that there's a little bit of a sort of psychoanalysis or, you know, a kind of an analysis of the particular players' oddities to see whether or not they could fit within that particular system that's already been developed? Yeah, I think I think in the case of Lockie, it was more playing style. So that's like, you know, is there – and Richmond has definitely built its own brand of players and they pick these guys who are, you know, really hard and fast runners – who maybe lack for the kick or lack for the finish or lack for the polish. You know, you could argue that Jason Castagna, you know, is one of these guys who you know, maybe they're not going how good was his finishing skills, those type of things. But in the end, he just works up and back so hard that it was, you know, it was too hard to ignore for, for Richmond. So I think it's more around um, the, the football character of a player and that's where recruiters sort of, um, divide things you know there's the character of a player and that's sort of what separates them you know off the field what makes them good as a person or you know questionable as a person or uh, what's their background what's their ambition what's their work ethic but then there's their footy character and it's, that's where do you stand under the the high ball do you when your team's struggling do you do you crack the sads and and put your hands on your hips or do you actually go and get the contested ball the next one it comes or do you do you push back and and help out your teammates or do you pick up a guy from the ground, that's the footy character. I think that's probably more where clubs, you know, it's equal, but the footy character is a huge part of the decision-making process as well for clubs when they recruit and whether it will pick and fill into their, their style that they're building. So, Cal, moving to the present, you've said that Melbourne can win the flag this year. How do you think we shape yeah. up against the dogs? <laughs> we listen very closely to the AFL exchange, Cal. <laughs> yeah, good. Um, I'm glad to have a listener in Mexico or a couple of listeners in Mexico. Um, can they win it? How do they shape up against the dogs? Yeah, it's going to be fascinating. And, and we're a few weeks away from that game. So hopefully both teams are still you know, either unbeaten or still flying at that point to get into that that big mid-season clash. It'd be awesome. But um yeah, I think the defensive line will stack up really well against the, the Bulldogs forwards. I think you'd have to say that, you know, those guys would, would hold themselves pretty comfortably or at least, you know, be in for good challenges in that respect. Uh, then you, you look at uh, the forward line and at the moment, as we mentioned, it'd be interesting to see if in a month where that one actually sits, who's actually in the side at that point. But uh, the Bulldogs, you'd hope from their perspective, would have a couple of their defenders back. Maybe you guys don't, but they might have Bailey Williams back by then. They might have Ryan Gardner back by then. So that might be sort of a little bit more sure to, to face up against those Melbourne forwards. And then I guess most games these days come down on battle of midfields, doesn't it? And 
you'd have to say at the moment these two are, are the best midfields in the game. Whether the advantage comes from Max Gorn, you know, whether the two Ruckman uh, at the Bulldogs could outwork him a little bit and, and see how they sort of worked in tandem would be an interesting battle. But, you know, it's pretty hard to separate the wingmen at the moment. We know Brayshaw and Langdon are playing probably career-best footy, both of them, even though I guess Brayshaw had that 2018 season. But it was a little bit of an outlier in how things went for him that year. But, yeah, he's just so consistent now. He's found a, found a spot and they're using him really well. And then, you know, the Bontempelli versus Petrarca matchup will get pumped up all week. You know, McRae versus these other guys, all of us. So, um, look, I'm, I'm sitting on the fence a little bit, but it, it, it does loom like a really even battle, I think. And I don't think many people at the start of the season would have thought that. So, um, all credit to the way, you know, they've, they've held firm. And it's funny, like a month ago, if, if they lost the first two games of the season, you know, there was that underwhelming game to start the year at the G and, um, it sort of was like, oh, you know, which way is it going to go here? And even a couple of weeks ago, even after beating Geelong, I still think you probably needed a scalp to, you know, back over some of the work and progress that's been made. And that came on Saturday night against the Tigers. So, um, yeah, you'd hope that um, they'd be building themselves up for that battle in a few weeks against the Dogs. Cal, thank you so much for joining the Deluded Podcast. No worries. Enjoy the rest of the year, guys. <laughs>